This week on Office Baggage, we're tackling a little talked about topic in the world of women in business, the glass cliff. What does it mean to be on it? What does it look like to be pushed off of it? And is this what's happening to female candidates in this year's Democratic primary? Hello, Office Baggagers. I think that's what we're going to call you, Office Baggagers. Uh, This is Marcy, and it is Wednesday, March 18th, and I'm recording this intro on the same day this episode is going to go up from my social distancing position here in Chicago. Can we all agree it's been a crazy couple of weeks? I think that kind of goes without saying. And that craziness has really bled into this podcast. I wanted to start this intro today and be totally honest with you about where we've been. I haven't really known what to do with this podcast in the light of all this coronavirus hoopla. This morning, I took my new dog. Um, I guess that's the big news in in my house. Charlie and I, in the middle of all this coronavirus stuff, last Friday, brought home our rescue Pearl. She's a six-month-old terrier mix. I will post some very cute dog photos of her in the show notes on officebaggagepodcast.com. But anyway... I took Pearl to the dog park today, and as she was running around getting acquainted with a lovely bulldog in the dirt, I waved to the bulldog's mom from well over six feet away. Um, I opened my own Apple Podcasts app and really shamefully for the first time in the first few weeks, the last few weeks, realized that, I'm sure you can hear now, my my dog shaking in the background. I asked her to be quiet for this, but uh, she's still here. We're all working from home with dogs and kids and pets. Um, and dealing with this kind of uh, distraction kind of time. But anyway, I opened my own Apple Podcasts app and for the first time in a few weeks realized how incredibly behind I am on podcasts. And I know that's where you all are as well. Uh, I see the downloads on our show and they've certainly been down on the last couple of episodes that we've posted. And I guess it's a little bit chicken and egg, right? When podcast episode downloads are down, then I hesitate to post the next episode. Ray was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. You saw our happy hour episode go up two weeks ago, um, kind of catching up on on our journey together and what's happening with us in 2020. Um, we recorded another episode that you'll hear today and an interview episode that I'm incredibly proud of. And frankly, with everything going on, I've, I've just been hesitate to post these episodes, hesitating to post them. I always want to make sure that when we record something, especially when we have guests join us on the podcast, that we are doing every single thing we can to promote those shows, to showcase our guests' brands, their companies, to give you the most awesome experience both on the podcast and in social media. So I've held off a bit. However, I want to thank some of my podcast and online media gurus like Amanda Bolin and Jessica Zweig and the ladies from Bossed Up and HBR for posting this week and for getting out there on social media this week and encouraging all of us to see this time at home and in this kind of quarantine social distance mode, not as a time of want, but as a time of abundance. And to see this as a time of 
potential collaboration and connectivity instead of aloneness and solitude. The collaboration and the connectivity might look a little different than it does normally, but let's keep this conversation going as we reflect on where we are in our lives and in our world right now. Let's talk about women in business. Let's talk about the issues around us. Let's keep our brains moving and our skills sharp. So whether you're alone in your house with your cats and your dogs, like I am, and looking for some connectivity, or you're homeschooling your kiddos and looking for a timeout during a bath or a walk outside, I'm hoping today's podcast will help in some way. Ray and I recorded this podcast, a little caveat, a few weeks ago. Um, We talk about some politics in this podcast. We talk about the Democratic primary, and we did record this podcast before Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the presidential race. So take that um, just as a, a sense of when when we were coming from at this time. We're talking about a well-known topic in business and one that was certainly at play in this year's Democratic primary, and that's the glass cliff. Now that more than ever, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. We'd love to hear topics you want to hear from us in the coming days, weeks, and months. Comment on our social media. Contact us at info at officebaggagepodcast.com. Send us your feedback and your questions and stay with us on this journey. Ray's working from home with two kids. I'm working from home with a dog and a cat and a husband who's also working from home. Um, we have time and, and we want to give some time back to you guys, but only if, if you really want to hear it and only if we can really continue to promote um, our interviewees. We've got a couple of interviews in the can. I'm rescheduling some interviews that didn't work out because of everything going on with coronavirus. But stick with us. We want to hear from you and we hope you still want to hear from us. We hope you, your families, your loved ones stay safe and healthy during this coronavirus time and stick with us today as we talk about the glass cliff for women in business and in politics. Hey, Ray. Hey, Marcy. Welcome back. So good to be back. Your drink looks much better than my drink. See it why, is. See why my fear of lakes is persistent? Because you're drinking something wildly green. Yeah, and swampy looking. Like, do you see the scum on the top of it? Yeah, I don't want to drink that. It's not appetizing. I will swim in it. I won't swim in it, but I will drink it. You're a weirdo. It has a nice orangey flavor. You're a weirdo. What is in this thing that you're drinking? Like, let me see here. Eight greens made with, made with spinach, wheatgrass, kale, blue-green algae, spirulina, chlorella, barley grass, and aloe vera. I'm like, I'm not, no. And you're drinking Prosecco. I'm drinking Chandon, baby. These are like tablets. This is just, yeah, no, man. N-O. Not good. I get a nice boost of energy from it. I mean, I guess that's good. I do, we were talking about this this morning. I do like green juice. Unless it has celery in it. But I this does not look like green juice. This no, looks like it's swamp. not green juice. It does look like swamp. And it's the instructions say it's refreshing in eight ounces of water. <laughs> in eight ounces of water, you need to eat it with a spoon. Um, so I tend to put it in 32 to 64 ounces of water. And <laughs> it sounds like on a podcast when they're trying to put an ad in the podcast and talk about it naturally. That's what it sounds like. It does, doesn't eight, it? Eight greens, 
Eight Greens, sponsor us, and we'll talk about you. Although, like, frankly, I I, we already, I don't think I could do it. We already used the word swamp to describe it, so I think the sponsorship <laughs> has sailed. I think we're done. I think we're, I think we're all set there. I do get a lovely energy boost from it. It's helped me wean myself off of my sixth cup of coffee a day. Yeah. I do the, the Eight Greens instead. It gets kind of my water. Uh, into me, so I'm um, up more than 110 ounces of water a day, just trying to choke this shit down. <laughs> but um, who knows if it's the hydration or the eight greens? But I ordered 64 of them, so we're we're riding this ship until it uh, sinks. It's so good. Do you know the greatest bougie thing that has happened in my life recently? Um, East End Club. No. East Side Club? East Bank Club. East Side Story? Been, yes. East Bank is a bougie, bougie thing. Bougie, um, bougie, bougie. I've been a member of East Bank for a long time. No, the greatest bougie thing that has happened in my life recently, I'm wildly excited about it to the point of, it's it's a little inappropriate. Um, I got a new refrigerator. And we had like, you know, we had that two-week moment. So our refrigerator, our, our old fridge was making a very yucky sound. And so I had the repair guy come out and he informed me I was, quote, on borrowed time with this fridge. <laughs> and he said, yeah, no, you shouldn't repair this thing. You should really get a new one. So we ordered a new fridge and I had about two weeks where our fridge had to like, hold on until the new fridge came. And during that two weeks, I watched an inappropriate number of fridge organization videos on YouTube to which my husband was like, are you okay? Why? I am consistently surprised by things that are actually things. And fridge organization videos. Fridge organization videos is is my new favorite. How is this a thing? It's thing. such but a thing. The thing is, I say that and it sounds super judgy. I will not Google it because I know I will get totally sucked in. Yeah. I mean, and the container store is my happy place. Like, the container store is like fucking church for me. <laughs> I don't want to watch it's it because so I'll, t- I'll try to do something. Yeah. I'll try to bring a fridge organization system into my home and 45 seconds will pass and all of the organization will be done and they will be fucking Lego storage bins yeah. upstairs. No. So I, so anyway, the reason I thought about this is because, and the part of the reason I wanted a fridge organization video is we were losing a ton of door storage because our new fridge has water in the door. And anyone who knows me knows I am a camel. I drink water after water after water after water to the point where it was my sustainability thing in the last few months, this year. I drink, for years, I've drank way too much bottled water. It's it's disgusting as a sustainability professional. I hate myself for doing it. And so probably fall of last year. You I think, have a lot to learn about the environment. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So funny. Sorry, we'll get That's into a that later. Story. Um, so I started doing this like rotation of cups in my refrigerator instead of having um, having water, bottled water. And now that I have a refrigerator that has ice, and I realize it's just a stupid thing. Like a lot of people grew up with ice and water in the door of their refrigerator. Like to me, you had to be a rich person to have ice and water in the door of your refrigerator. And I am so bougie. I feel like so happy every time I get ice and water out of the refrigerator. It's crazy. You posted it on Instagram. And I so did. like you see people posting on Instagram, like here is my fabulous vacation in Europe. And you're like water in the door. Refrigerator. It's funny. So um, my former uh, coworker, Beth, I told her that I was excited about this. And she's the person in my life who is also excited about things like this. She has a refrigerator that has like Wi-Fi capabilities 
the thing there are refrigerators the one i really like would have loved to have there's a refrigerator where it has a camera in the refrigerator yeah. so like if you're at the grocery store and you forget if you have cheese you can check the camera we unfortunately have a very specific sized place to put our refrigerator and that one would not fit but and i totally would, would have done it if it had I think you're a very intelligent woman, so it wouldn't have been hard for you to come up with a better example because you could never have too much cheese. Like That's true. You know, you should have used like kale as an example. I don't buy kale. Why not? Have you done a kale chip? They're delightful. Oh, you are off your fucking rocker. No, no, no. Kale chip. No. There's, sorry, there's a third person on the couch here and I just looked for verification Thank that, you. I, that I didn't receive. No. This is what, it's so funny. So, Oh, just um, an olive oil and a, a natural salt. You've lost your mind. <laughs> this is my joke to my trainer. So um, it's talking about East Bank Club. So East Bank Club is bougie. It is. We talked about it on the last podcast or on our, a couple podcasts ago at this point, maybe. Um, East Bank Club is super bougie. I am a fat person. Totally fine with being a fat person. I am a very healthy fat person. I work out more than most thin people. It's fine. Um, there are women at the gym that do this thing, and it's a few weeks into like being back working out full like at East Bank when we rejoined the club I said to my husband and I also said to my trainer I was like this thing happens to me at the gym where these women like look at me and I can tell that one of two things is going on one they're like somehow in their head talking about how fat I am or two they're somehow in their head like talking about themselves like it's not i know that yeah. them looking at me is not about me right like men at the gym will often look at me and be like wow you're really strong and it's like yeah i know i'm fat but i can lift really heavy leave me alone but there are some women that like you know when a woman's you know when someone's eyes are on you and you know when it's not good yeah. right and i said to my husband i was like what do i do? like the the bitch in me wants to be like what are you looking at <laughs> When I oh, and I my, do that all the time. I it's know. Very rewarding. My husband's my husband is so much nicer than you or I, and his solution was to say, "Do we know each other?" And just to like oh. break the gaze, to like make her realize that you know she's looking at you. That's brilliant. Kind of thing, and it's funny. So I was talking to my trainer about this, and I said, "You know what I tell myself when I see them? Though I think to myself, you cry in the shower because you have to pretend to like kale." I actually that was my quote. So I'm I'm really sorry that you have to pretend to like kale because no, it is I not like, good. Kale is good. No, it's not. It's, it is. It is objectively awful a and kale, not food. A kale chip is delicious. A kale salad. Oh, what? I think you're missing out. I like my greens. You've lost your shit. No, no. Here's the deal. I'm a very balanced human. I like my greens, but I ate a large pizza last night. You did. I like greens too. Kale is awful. <laughs> We're just going to move on from this. Fine. We These, agree there, to disagree. There are more important things to yell about. That, you, know what we, you know what we can yell about collectively? We can scream into the void on this one together. Yeah. Do I, where are we on talking about politics and elections and stuff? We're on it. We're, We're doing on it. it. We're, We're in there. It. We're getting into Trigger it. Trigger warnings up. Yeah. Deflector shields um, up. By the way, if you support Donald Trump, you're not listening to this podcast in the first place. Yes. If you, if by some miracle of God you're still here, you might want to turn it off right now. Come on. We. I didn't think that my my inappropriate feelings for Anderson Cooper could get any more unhealthy, but his takedown of Rod McCoy was the best thing ever. 
Ray Anderson Cooper saying this is bullshit <laughs> national <laughs> television. Well, my kids will frequently ask, so I, I'm not sure if we've talked about it on the podcast or not, but I've had to unpack for my children the difference between a swear and a slur. Yeah. And slurs are never appropriate. Swears sometimes are. And they'll ask me sometimes if the swear is appropriate. I want to sit them both down in front of Anderson Cooper and be like, this is how you this swear. This is it. This is the calculated Do you know the decision. only thing that would have made that interview better? If at some point in the interview, Anderson had also giggled. Because <laughs> oh, I love when he giggles. He does have an infectious giggle. Oh, he's such a good giggler. He's such a good giggler. Do you know who I love more than Anderson Cooper, though? Um, Lemon. Don Lemon. Mm. I freaking love Don Lemon. And Don Lemon had an interview. I will try to find it, and I will put it on the show notes, where he started giggling and he couldn't control himself. And it might have been better than Anderson. So it not, might have been better than Anderson. So not on the giggle front, but on the people who make really good points front, my absolute favorite, Trey Crowder. You love Trey Crowder. I, I, love, I like Trey Crowder, but you love Trey Crowder. I love Trey Crowder. To the point where I can't watch Trey Crowder in front of my husband. Once Trey Crowder started wearing his glasses, I was like, and we have a problem. <laughs> Oh, Trey Crowder. Love. If you don't know who Trey Crowder is, please Google him. Google he's, him. Listen to fantastic. him. Um, yeah. It's so some good fantastic. stuff. I love it. Some good stuff. Okay, I'm making myself a note to post Anderson Cooper, Rob Bogoyevich interview, oh and Don Lemon giggling in the show notes. Because <laughs> it's just worth watching. It just, it makes you happy. In For the people, face yeah. of so much dystopian bullshit going on, we always say that laughter can be very cathartic. Then giggling just gets me there. It's just great. It just gets me back to my it happy just, place. I mean, the for the Ill, for the Illinois people in in the that are listening, the Rob Blagojevich thing is just like it's just mind blowing. Like I just I can't even like fine okay whatever like Trump can commute whose ever sentences he wants to commute whatever like you can argue when people are arguing about like Trump should he shouldn't he be whatever this is true of every president that's ever commuted sentences for anybody I mean yes it's probably more corrupt with Trump but like it's all political whatever but like Rob Blagojevich is like if you look up in the dictionary like clueless Rob Blagojevich should be there I mean I always say this to people because it's it's one of my favorite things so my dear friend Susanna is the editor-in-chief of of Chicago Magazine Um, I think Chicago Magazine does a fantastic fantastic job of a lot of things Um, but a couple of years ago they did this massive 10-page profile of Rob Blagojevich from prison and it was mind-boggling at one point he compares himself to Nelson Mandela and it was just like idiot's mouth like it's like it just he still to this day has no idea what he did was wrong well you and i have this conversation over the last couple of days but germane to a completely separate set of circumstances around we have to take a step back and realize for a moment that the stories that people are telling themselves and in a lot of cases others they actually truly believe Yes. And the fact we were talking about this with Elizabeth Holmes. Yes. Um, Because I went to that thing where John Kerry, who wrote Bad Blood, spoke. And he said this in in essence, probably not as strong as I'm going to say it right now, but like that chick would pass the lie detector test. She truly believes that her, that Theranos and the technology worked or that it would work or that it was coming. And it's just, it's, it's sociopathy at its worst. 
I'd love to see what sociopathy at its best looks like. <laughs> I guess that is sociopathy. I, mean, I don't know. I guess it's the I best. Know, how, does that, how does that one cut? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that one curves. On the psychopath uh, spectrum or whatever they call it. Oh, Jesus. Um, oh, so crazy. So, so crazy. Um, but anyway, so we started talking about politics because we our plan for this episode was to kind of start and, and talk about what's happening with women in the Democratic primary because it's it's really been unsettling for me to watch um what's been going on and we've talked about this a little bit we had cassandra gatto from run for something on the podcast a a couple of months ago and we talked about the myth of electability and some of the things that are going on but to actually watch it happen where there will be a debate charlie and i will sit down we'll watch the debate and in our minds let's uh, elizabeth warren or even going back to kamala harris or amy klobuchar like killed it and then you watch we're not watching fox news pundits man we're watching msnbc and cnn they get off the stage and the pundits talk about bernie and biden and pete Buttigieg and just erase the performance of the women on the stage and it's like whoa whoa and i think the last couple of debates have been better Mm -hmm. they've been better i mean elizabeth coming up the number of times I said, get it, Liz, <laughs> during the, when she came after Michael Bloomberg was, I mean, she just dominated that last debate, which I think that will be still the last debate by the time this goes up. But, um, you know, at least they talked about her then. But it's so interesting to me to watch Amy and, and Liz do so well and the media still talk about Michael Bloomberg and Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg. And, and and Tom Steyer, for God's sake, who, like, you know, nice guy, man. Like, well, I think particularly... He's going to be a great secretary of housing in New York, <laughs> like, someday. I understand why they don't talk about Amy Klobuchar, because she's quite boring. But you know what? I love it. Hashtag love it. make the news boring again. Right? I want a red hat that says make the news boring again. Make the news boring again, right? So she's not, she's not good news, but... Yeah. I didn't say that well, but you know what I mean. Like she's not a sexy headline. She's not good TV. She's not. She's good not good TV. TV. That's a much better way to articulate it. I do think Elizabeth Warren makes for some good TV, and I yeah. do think she is. Whether you agree with her politics or not, or her stance on certain policies, she is exceptionally well qualified. Arguably better so yeah. than some of those male names that you put forward. And we need to do a better job talking about that. Yeah. And I think it's the thing... So listen, everybody who knows me in life knows that I love Joe Biden. I love the man. I adore him. Um, I think he's a fantastic person. I've had the opportunity to to know him and uh, as a human um, in my young life. And I, I love the man. Um, he's not the right president for us right now. I think Joe Biden would be a great president. I think he'd do incredibly well. I think he was a fantastic vice president. Um, but right now... The people who are standing on that stage are exceptionally well-qualified women, and it is time. It's just fucking time. And I truly believe that the only, I truly believe that what will take Donald Trump down is 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 one or more of these women. So I have to wonder: Will the glass cliff save us on this one? So, for those who don't know, the glass cliff phenomenon has has actually been documented quite well. Um, in a variety of disciplines, uh, from law to politics, 
I'm interested in it because very much in finance and technology, two of the domains in which I've worked. There was a study back in 2004 from University of Exeter. They studied uh, FTSE 100 companies and found that companies that appointed women to their boards were more likely to have performed poorly in the preceding five months. The term glass cliff was born from this study. A subsequent study from 2006 revealed that female law students were typically assigned the highest risk cases or those that had the highest probability of failure. You can see it recently in examples such as Marissa Mayer, who was appointed CEO of Yahoo in 2014 after it lost significant market share to Google, and even more recently, Theresa May, who became the prime minister in 2016 after Brexit referendum. Absolutely. So it's, it's kind of very much a thing. And I look at that, I'm like, well, that's horrible. And we should unpack it. But at the same time, will that finally get us a female candidate? It is. I mean, there... Any way. Any port in a storm. It's interesting. Um, HBR... Uh, Sloan, all of these great business school publications have done a lot of research on the glass cliff. The thing I've never seen, and I actually thought about it while we were um, thinking about this episode, is I would love to see the numbers on the women who have been set up in this way, right? The women who have come in after the crisis, come in after the tragedy, come in after the five quarters of terrible performance and have done the turnaround Mm -hmm. because they're out there, right? Mary Dillon at Alta, um, Jenny Rometty at IBM. I think Jenny came in after a a, a difficult time, didn't she? I think so, yeah. I think so. I mean, I know Mary Dillon did. Um, Jenny Rometty is one of them. Um, uh, Ursula, or no, Anne Mulcahy came in after a very difficult time at Xerox and then turned, Anne Mulcahy is my like, I used to have a picture of her in my office because I fucking love her so much. Um, Anne Mulcahy, first female CEO of Xerox and the first female CEO in the Fortune 500 to turn the CEO job over to another woman who happened to be an African-American woman, Ursula Burns, who's fantastic. But I'd love to see the numbers on them of like, how does that work? So it's true that women often get the big job when shit goes bad, when shit goes down. Um, and that's where we're at right now, right? Like shit has gone bad. Yeah. Shit has gone down. Whether we want to admit it and talk about it or not, I think we can all agree America's not great again. Yeah. America's not great again. And not that it was then either, but no, you know, of course not. but I think it's time to like let Amy or Liz go in there. And you know, my preference, my personal preference is Amy and Liz together as a team. Oh. Um, so let's go, let's go Warren Klobuchar, Klobuchar Warren. Um, I also think Stacey Abrams has run a, I think Stacey Abrams has run the best presidential campaign in all of them because she stayed out of it mm-hmm. and we all know she wants to be VP. So somebody bring in Stacey, somebody bring in Liz, somebody bring in Amy. Let's see him actually do this thing. Um, I think there's some uh, real talk in the Biden campaign from what I hear and, you know, I'm, I'm not that close to it about Kamala and being his running mate if he were it, but it just, I think there's a lot of things out there, but like, let's let some women go in and try to clean up this mess. It is time. I mean, it... here's what I wonder. Well, it's interesting. You know, my 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 favorite woman in business who I disagree politically with across the board, mm-hmm. but she's my favorite person. I know we're going. Carly Fiorina. I love Carly. Charlie and I are entertaining getting a dog, and I love naming, I, I named Betsy, our cat, after Betsy Johnson, who I love, who's one of my favorite <laughs> designers. So we were talking about having to name our, our dog if she were a girl dog, and I said, let's name her Carly Fiorina. And Charlie was like, I don't know what you're saying about Carly if you name a dog after. <laughs> But I was like, oh, okay. But I love her. Maya um, and I watched the Gilmore Girls in late season. Uh, they they get a dog and they name it Paul Anka. And I just... <laughs> if you're going to do it, go all in. Give go it all in. Name. Exactly. Um, 
Uh, so funny. But Carly talks about how she knew she was coming to H- she knew she was coming into HP on at the time. I mean, this was many years ago, right? At, at as a chance, right? They took a shot on a female CEO because they were in a hard position and they weren't sure what to do after they had done some spinoffs and all that kind of stuff. And you know, they ended up pushing her off the cliff. They absolutely pushed her off the cliff. Pushed her right off that damn cliff. Um, and you know, Carly's done well since then and and has has made made a name for herself continuously but but not as well as the male ceos who have not been successful they tend to move on to other ceo positions the externalities relative to their failure in the prior role tend to be weighted and considered higher Mm -hmm. than those of female candidates who oftentimes need to do a total rebrand and go do something different well it'll be so here's the interesting thing too this is a, a very a very different cliff um, as, as one, as it were, we did a, a kind of ranty episode, or I think it was our second episode this season, um, about Steve Easterbrook and, uh, his role at McDonald's and, and him being fired, um, because of having a relationship, having an affair, um, with, uh, with, a, a, a an employee. Um, and soon after that, a female CEO, Corey Berry, CEO of Best Buy, for allegedly having an affair with an executive, and it, it's interesting. It'll be it'll be fascinating to see five years from now. And let me and and I'll be really clear. And so listen, Corey Berry went to my um, college. I've met Corey. I don't know her well, but I've met her uh, a number of times. The person that she is accused of having in a romantic affair with has denied the email and said that the anonymous letter that was sent to the board that eventually got her was not true. So that still remains to be, you know, these are allegations where Steve Easterbrook admitted to the affair and apologized for it right away. So a little bit of a different circumstance. Mm-hmm. But five years from now, it'll be really inter- interesting to see where Steve Easterbrook is. And it'll be really interesting to see where Corey Berry is. Yes. And the other thing I think about this whole glass cliff thing, um, I would love to see some research about how many of those women were internal versus external. Um, Because I I believe there's research that shows that most female CEOs grew up with that company and where male CEOs are more likely to get hired from the external. So I wonder if, if that has a play in it as well. HBR, help me out. Do more research on the cliff. So it's interesting that we're talking about um, women CEOs and some of the, the things that they come to. One of the things I sent you this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it at when we talked about um, we talked about it at our presentation at Kellogg this week as well. And it's something that I sent around, I think, in a newsletter recently. But it just keeps weighing on me, and I want to talk about it. Is this new research out of Harvard Business School? about class clues in resumes and the way that they land for men versus women. So let me tee this up and sort of tell you what the research is and then let's talk about it. Um, So the first part of the research is not shocking to me. So the first part of the research looks at combinations of items in resumes that signal social class right so for instance a higher class resume 
and I, I kind of use those words in quotes, but this is what Harvard Business Review did. A higher class resume might say that the individual what had a university athletic award, they were a peer mentor, they were on the sailing team, and their personal interest included sailing, polo, and classical music. The lower class resume might say that the person had um, an outstanding un- athletic award for athletes on financial aid. It would say they were a peer mentor for first-generation college students. It would say that they did track and field. It would say that their interests were country music and pick up soccer, right? So it's these little subtle class clues that say, um, did you get a scholarship or didn't you? Are you, you know, it gives you that kind of clue. So the first piece of the research, which is not shocking to me, is that hiring managers prefer overall when given no gender when just looking at you know resume after resume blinded name blinded gender that the higher class upper class person is getting a major boost when it comes to people looking at their resume not shocking not shocking not shocking Um, sad sad yeah not good but not shocking these are things that you know i get it right um the thing that shocked the hell out of me is that when you split them by gender, it actually has the opposite effect than you think it would. So just with the men, again, higher class resume gets tons more interviews, lower class resume gets less. So the men follow the trend, exactly what we just said, not shocking. When you split the resumes and you make them all women, lower class women get more interviews than higher class women. So if you are a man who says you're interested in polo and sailing, you get a huge boost. If you are a woman who says you're interested in polo and sailing, you get no boost and actually less. And if you are a woman who was a scholarship, you know, came from a rough neighborhood kind of thing, you're actually getting a boost on your resume. And I just, it shocked me and it signaled to me this sense of people wanting women to be I don't know what the word is like uh, wanting women to be less than and wanting men to be I don't know you know I think maybe the men and I don't know either and it's disappointing and I'm sure this is about to be an offensive comment but I'd love to look at the demographic of the hiring manager looking at these resumes because my sense is the men want someone they can have a similar conversation with when they're you know going golfing or whatever else but with the women here's someone I can save and do a favor to mm-hmm. uh, a favor for whatever it's wounded bird that's what I, I it's I like think the, it is. it's the, oh. I think it is versus you and I have had different conversations many times around we'll hear people say that they want a strong woman but they have no idea how to step up their own game to kind of achieve the parity with what that means. There's a preconceived notion of what a strong woman is. I think, quite frankly, that working your way through a scholarship and getting yourself through school very much is the kind, is a, that is the yeah. picture of strong for me. But if, if you've hustled to the extent that you've earned certain things that would shine through as privilege on a resume, well, you don't need me anymore. The thing I found that's really interesting is they actually, when they had these, um, somewhere they had, a lot of this was attorneys. So they had attorneys review these resumes and decide, the question was not would you hire them, but who would you give an interview to? Mm -hmm. That was was the the litmus. Um, 
And then when they said, no, I wouldn't give this person an interview or I'd give this person an interview, they made them say why. And I, this I found really, really interesting. Um, uh, they described the, the hiring managers when looking at the resumes for the higher class women, described them as flight risks who might desert the firm or want less time intensive areas of the legal practice. They cited family as the reason that they thought these women would leave. So if you went to Yale and you like polo, somebody assumes you want to be a kept woman and that you're going to leave and start a family. But if you, it's just such an interesting thing for me. But if you're male and you went to Yale and you like polo, somebody assumes you're going to be a really, a really good employee. It's just like, yowza. That's bananas. The perception they said was that higher class women do not need a job because they quote have enough money are quote married to somebody rich or are quote going to end up being a helicopter mom. This commitment penalty that higher class women face negated any advantage they received on account of their social class. I think I've shared this before. One of my very early kind of calibration and merit conversations in my first company. So it was the first time I was at the table for how do we think about parceling out the finite bonus dollars based on performance. One of the male partners literally said, yeah, but her husband's a doctor, so... She should be fine. She should be fine. We should really, you know, so-and-so just had a baby and he's the sole provider. So, you know, maybe we should put those dollars over there. And I was, you know, I was 28, but I was like, what the act? What? This is wrong. Right. It's just, so this doesn't, because I hear that, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. It further, um, it further influences to me that we need to be using bias elimination in resume screening. A lot of companies are thinking about this. There are great AI solutions out there for this. It always occurred to me, I mean, it's clear that bias elimination in resume screening helps um, people of color. It helps people with um, uh, traditionally ethnic names. It helps, there are a lot of people that it helped. It never occurred to me that we could be have that people, any people, I should say we, I'm not in the, I'm not in those people. I didn't go to Yale. I didn't go to a name school. I didn't, you know, I went to, well, that's true. I did go to Northwestern, but I mean, it, as a, as a young person coming yeah. you know, coming out of college, I didn't have polo on my resume. I worked four jobs all the way through college. Like I, you know, I wasn't that person, but now I, I do have Northwestern on my resume. You sort of looked at me like Marcy. Um, <laughs> sorry, I admit that. But it didn't occur. Like I, I never thought I would have so I would be biased at any way in my resume. And it's just so interesting. It's a, yet another signal to how biased hiring managers can be, and how biased the systems that we use for hiring can be. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. I should not be shocked by this. Well, there are more things I should not be shocked by. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that we don't call them out and have a conversation about them. Nothing in this surprised me, but I didn't know about it before. But I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Super interesting. Super interesting. And this is a great study. You're going to post it in the show notes, right? I'm going to post it in the show notes. I've shared it um, in the newsletter as well. And it just, yeah, I don't know why this one really unsettled me. You see some research sometimes and you're like, damn. Well, you know, I personally have only in the last couple of years gotten my head around the study that showed, you know, the Sam and the Samantha resume and Samantha's a bitch, but Sam seems like a real go-getter. Like, and this just 
adds another layer on top of that that because uh, I I feel like we've done things to get through gender bias yeah and we're aware of things like gender bias now things like this are so much more subtle yeah uh, and then you call them out and you're like wow there's so there's still so much work to do mm-hmm. yeah it's fascinating um you know people make a lot of money from resume crafting and all of this but it's there's a point at which you just feel like you cannot win Mm -hmm. like what's the damn point you put stuff on your linkedin you do your resume and it's like there's a point at which it just doesn't make any sense you know i've had it happen i'm sure you've had it happen i've had it happen so many times in the last year where it's like you check every single bullet on the job description and within 24 hours you get a kickback out of the thing that they're not pursuing with you. And it's like, what is wrong with you? Like, it just, these, it's one of those things where it's like, literally like Jeff Bezos knows everything I do. Mark Zuckerberg knows everything I do. How are our resume systems so fucking awful? Like, this is not hard. Like, are you doing i've never put those things together before but it, you've got something there isn't that funny so it's charlie was laughing at me um last week and it, it's these things that connect are so interesting so um i bought a pair of shoes from the brand rothy's um sustainable shoe brand and all of a sudden charlie is getting in his facebook feed Rothy's, 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 everywhere. Charlie and I, like, never use, like, I'm not on Charlie's Facebook. I don't know what that is. You know what it was? I did Amazon Pay to pay for the shoes, where both of our Amazon, like, our Amazon accounts are shared through Prime, so it knew I paid for Rothy's, and his Facebook must somehow get cookies there, and he's getting all this stuff, and it's like, for God's sake, like, Mark Zuckerberg knows when I have my period. How is it so hard for Workday to know that I'm qualified for this job? I throw work day under the bus. Sorry, work day. Well, I'm not sure it's work day. I think it's, it's whatever not. system, whatever systems these. Well, yeah, but you know, so we use work day. I have in the last two companies and yes, it comes into work day, but it's a recruiter looking through it. And, and I work with a lovely team of recruiters, but they don't do my job. Yeah. And if you use slightly different language, then, then the hiring manager uses your recruiter is going to screen it out. I find wonderful nuggets of talent in the resumes that my recruiter has rejected. Yeah. So, um, a lot of it is automation though. There is a, when you're getting a kickback within like four or five hours, no recruiter has looked at that. That's fair. That's fair. And that's, that's whatever company they're using, whatever software they're using to do that is really, yeah. Or they just flat out already have an internal candidate and that they were posting too. it for whatever reason. It doesn't mean it's not frustrating. As I had a company recently um, that, I guess it wasn't recently, it was probably a, six months ago or eight months ago, um, that I knew someone internally, and it probably was because I knew someone internally, um, and I had applied, and a recruiter reached out to me and said, thanks for your application, like an actual email from an actual person wanted to thank you so much for your application and we you know received your stuff from this person i knew internally as well um we have three internal candidates for this position and the likelihood is that we are not going to er, we're not going to interview externally but we'll keep you in mind and i was like thank you thank you thank you human thank you human being thank you human beings was that so damn hard and you know what it made me think about them it made me think 
how wonderful for you to be promoting from within on this role, Mm -hmm. how wonderful for you to be looking at multiple internal candidates, and how wonderful for you to let me know, not in like eight weeks, but like in the couple of days. Now, it probably happened because I knew someone high up internally, but still, I'm going to give them credit for the human thing. Agree. It's good for them. Totally good for them. I know. So, you know, moral of today's podcast story is be good humans. Here's the thing. Good manners are good business. Bad manners are bad business. Simply taking the time to send you that note locks in something about that brand with you. And good manners are not good politics. So keep attacking them, Liz. You don't need to have good manners. (laughs) Fuck off. This was the, well, after, Go for the throat. I love should. how we're No, how after Liz came. Senator Warren on her first name basis. I, I feel that we're on a first name basis, Liz and I. Um, <laughs> but no, I feel like after the debate where she talked to Michael Bloomberg about how he calls women horsey faced lesbians, which is an actual quote from Michael Bloomberg. Um, is that really yes. any worse than the stuff that. No, Our it's, current president. No, it's not. But this my is, current president, <coughs> Donald J. Trump, has. But this is the I'm only. Just saying it makes me want to throw it makes up you in my mouth a little bit. But I said this to the. I said this when we did our speaking engagement um, at Kellogg. If we, I, I actually, I. I I don't disagree with Michael Bloomberg on on, on a lot of things. I I disagree with his background as it relates to stop and frisk. I disagree that he should be able to buy an election the way that he's trying to. There are lots of things I disagree about. Uh But on the whole, like, again, if he's the candidate, I will hold my nose and fill in the ballot. Like, it's fine. Yes. Um, But someone asked us at this speaking engagement, how will we know that Me Too succeeded? Like, how will we know and it's like, well, we elected a president who said that he was going to grab women by the pussy, right? The way we know is that we don't elect a president who calls women horsey-faced lesbians. That's how we know. That's how we know. Because we draw the line somewhere. We say, Mike, you've done a great job with climate change. Good for you. Keep doing it. Mike, you've done a fantastic job with Bloomberg. You keep doing it. Keep giving away your money. Keep investing in philanthropy. We want you to keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great things. But you don't get to be the president of the United States anymore in 2020 when you call women horsey-faced lesbians. You don't. No disagreement. No. Rant over. Is it really because I feel like there's a theme? There's a theme. But it's a healthy theme. And it I'm is. completely on board with it. And again, it's, you know, we'll vote for whoever... For literally anyone else. Yes. Literally. If Paul Ryan (laughs) switches call signs, gets into the Democrat, like literally anyone else. Yeah. This is the, I mean, now we're going like down the political rabbit hole. The thing I never, that I don't understand about Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, like all of these people who, by the way, are going to get voted out, like, let's do it. The thing that I don't understand is... What they didn't know, like, if they would have just voted him out of office, if they would have voted to impeach, they could have run somebody else. And he, if Mitt Romney, now, listen, I'm a Democrat. I love the Democratic candidates. I would rather Amy or or Liz or pretty much any of them be president over somebody like Mitt Romney or Paul Ryan. Yeah. But if Mitt Romney were running against this slate of Democratic candidates, he would win in a walk. Like, if I were a Republican right now, I would have voted that asshole out of office so that we could have run somebody like Mitt. 
And we're at a point from a timing perspective where we're in lame duck mode anyway. No, so mechanical pencil it. would be stomachable for a while. That's what I, did I tell you I call my pens mechanical pencil? <laughs> I'm convinced that's No, my pens, I mean, oh God, I could, that's uh, mm, scary. Fucking scary. <sighs> totally fucking scary. But, you know, at least would probably have his hands tied a little bit. I don't know. I hope so. I don't know. It's so effed up. I don't even know. It's over now. So who knows? But, you know, let's just get this guy done. Get this guy done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a Pete, a, a Pete Buttigieg fan, but I did laugh yesterday when they asked Pete Buttigieg. Somebody asked Pete Buttigieg on the trail what he would do if Trump refused to leave office. And, and if, if Pete won and Trump refused to leave office, what would he do? Very serious question, right? And Pete Buttigieg says, I mean, I guess we could find some chores for him to do in the White House. <laughs> it's like, oh, Pete. Oh, you know, maybe you need a serious answer, but I thought that uh, the idea of Trump like cleaning the floors in the White House made me kind of That's kind of great. Look, I think yeah. Pete Buttigieg is absolutely delightful. I think he will have his time. I don't think this yeah. is it. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. I feel that. I mean, I, I if I I love some of the candidates, I, I love others less. Um, the person I, I truly 100% feel will be the first Latino president of the United States is Julian Castro. He's coming. Like, I'm ready for it. Um, I would go all in on Julian. I was very sad that his campaign didn't go where they wanted it to go this time. I really think it will in the future. So, yeah. you know, I think the same about Pete. I think let's let's give them give them some time. They're, they're on their way. They're the future of the party. See where it goes. Amen, sister. Amen. Thanks for sticking with us, listeners, through a political rant. I guarantee you it will not be the last. Yes, no. It's a big year. It's a a big year, man. Big year. (laughs) I mean, this group of listeners has been with us through the rants immediately after my president, Donald J. Trump, was elected. Um, I just... I. Yeah, no. Oh, God. He's the worst. Um, And there were some meaningful rants. Yeah. So, you know, keep doing it I was accused... Did I tell you I was accused of saying Donald Trump is not my president? And I've never said that. So I now, have. So now I've cut the... Like, it just... I don't have any... There's nothing really wrong with it, but the person who accused me of saying it listens to the podcast, so now I'm like, my president, Donald J. Trump, just to be an asshole. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it kind of... I feel a little stab every time I say it. Yeah, no. I'll say he's not my president. He's not my president. Like, I just... I can't stomach it. It makes me sad. It makes me so sad. Anyway... I feel like you should end on a happier note. <laughs> the happy note is go watch Don Lemon giggling, and the we will post Anderson is- calling Rad Blagojevich bullshit because that was <laughs> oh, really good. good. Stuff. I love Andy. I really do. Him and Don Lemon. I love them both. Delightful humans. Cuomo, not so much, but them. Love them. Anyway. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us. Subscribe to our newsletter. Send us email at info at officebaggagepodcast.com. And we will see you again next week.